And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. The Bible says in Psalm 84, 11, my last verse, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I've based my whole life on that, that it pays to serve God, and I believe that with all my heart. God has given us a guidebook. God has given us a directional map. And that guidebook, that map, is the precious Word of God. Listen, don't just go and sit in the pew. Find some way to serve and serve as a family. Be a part of everything at church. And when you learn to love what God loves, um, your children will learn to love it as well. Homes are not that spiritually strong. We're getting overtaken by the world quickly, but unfortunately, we're pumping all the sewage in. You know, we're letting the world in when that ought to be a haven. If we could see the result of all that God does in every service where the Word of God is lifted and preached, we'd be dumbfounded and amazed at what God does. It's just not about uh, an attendance number on a board. How many people can you get coming faithfully to your church? The purpose of church is not for attendance. The purpose of church is for growth. But if we look in the mirror, we're not perfect either. And the truth is, again, you can't change the other person. You can't get them saved. You can't change their faults. But God can. But you can change your own faults through God's help. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, come to the end of what's best for you, Start doing what's best for the sake of the Savior. Welcome back to Sandy Creek Stirrings. Thank you for joining me today. Glad to have you as a listener. I hope you've been enjoying the content here that we've been putting out here lately. I've had some good comments on some of the podcast episodes that we've recorded in the recent history of Sandy Creek Stirrings. Seems like episodes number 277 and 276. In part one and part two, I have a problem with my pastor. Those seem to have touched a real chord in some people that I've heard from on that subject, and it seems to really be a, be helping some people. And if you haven't listened to those, then maybe you could get some encouragement out of those as well. That was episodes number 276 and 277. I have a problem with my pastor. Now, you can help me. As a listener, you can help me develop content here on Sandy Creek Stirrings. You say, how can I do that? Send me an email, joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com. Again, my email is joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com. If you'll go there, or you can go on Facebook, and you could message Sandy Creek Stirrings through Facebook Messenger. Just type in Sandy Creek Stirrings, follow our page, send us a message. You can ask a question, or you can ask about a topic that maybe you'd like to hear some content on. I can't promise that we'll immediately record an episode on that, but we will work towards that and try and answer those questions or talk about that topic that you have. And uh, Or maybe I can point you in a direction of an episode where we already covered that subject. So I love hearing from my listeners. I want to thank you for listening. As always, if you like and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to, including YouTube, we're now on YouTube. You can go there. You can like and subscribe to our YouTube. YouTube channel. As always, if you have any questions, you can email me or you can visit our website, sandycreekstirrings.com. Again, that's sandycreekstirrings.com. You can find a lot of episodes and information and other things there on the podcast. All right. Esther chapter one. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this is Ahasuerus which reigned from India even into Ethiopia, over 107 and 20 provinces. That in those days when the king Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the palace, in the third year of his reign he made a feast unto all his princes and his servants, the power of Persia and Media, the nobles and princes of the provinces being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom, 
in the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even an hundred and fourscore days. And when these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan the palace, both unto great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace, where were white, green, and blue hangings, fastened with cords of fine linen, purple to silver rings, and pillars of marble. The beds were of gold and silver upon a pavement of red and blue and white and black and marble. And they gave them drink and vessels of gold, the vessels being diverse one from another, and royal wine in abundance according to the state of the king. And the drinking was according to the law, None did compel, for so the king had appointed to all the officers of his house that they should do according to every man's pleasure. Also Vashti the queen made a feast for the women in the royal house which belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was married with wine, he commanded Mahuman and Biztha and Harbona and Bigtha and Abacatha and Zetha and Carcass, the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Ahasuerus the king, to bring Vashti the queen before the king, with a crown royal, to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look upon. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth, and his anger burned in him. I want to spend a little bit of time today trying to be a blessing and trying to help a particular group of people from this particular passage here in Esther. I want to, in this episode, I want to look at, I want to learn, I want to apply a lesson from what I believe is one of the more overlooked relationships in the book of Esther. When we think of the book of Esther, there are so many different relationships that come to the forefront of our minds. We think of, well, the relationship of King Ahasuerus and Queen Esther or the relationship of Mordecai and Esther, or the relationship of Ahasuerus and Haman, or the relationship of Mordecai and Haman, or the relationship of Haman and the Jewish race. But often, we overlook the very first relationship that sits at the very opening of this book. It's the marriage of a man and a woman. It's the marriage of King Ahasuerus and Queen Vashti. My wife Tabitha and I were married on Friday evening of January 6th, 2017. We had our wedding at Tabitha's home church in Port Charlotte, Florida. Her mother handled the the decorating of what I believe, and you can call me biased if you want to, I don't care, what I believe to be the most beautiful wedding I've ever seen. I remember that day as, as you, if you've been married before, you remember that day. And I remember anxiously awaiting it. We, we, we were married Friday night later in the evening, if I, if I remember correctly, it was like 7 p.m. And I remember anxiously just waiting, awaiting, waiting for the wedding to finally come. It seemed like that day was the longest day of my life. And I arrived at the church a few hours early, and, and I remember that the, um, one of the ladies helping to handle and the wedding and kind of guide and direct and stuff like that and, and kind of set up and blah, 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 wedding planner. I don't know what you'd call that type of person. And uh, But I remember I drove down the end of the road to get down to the church, and they stopped me in the road. They said, you can't go up to the church yet. I said, why not? And they said, well, Tabitha's taking her pictures, you know, the bride and bridal party and all that. They're taking all their pictures, and you can't drive up there right now because you would see her. I sat in that road for an hour, y'all. For an hour. Now, I'm thankful today that we have those pictures, but still, it was an hour. Finally, I went into the area they had set up. I got dressed. I had my photos taken with the groomsmen and all that. And then the time came. Wedding time. Remember, we waited in the back office for the appointed time, and the wedding began to start. The music began to play, and one of the ladies helping to organize the wedding had made a mistake and had opened the door um, for the bridesmaids, and my sister-in-law, who was the maid of honor, was the first one to go down, and she went down the aisle all by herself, and then the lady realized, no, this is the wrong song for the bridesmaids. So she closed the doors and didn't let any of the other bridesmaids go down. And so my sister-in-law goes all the way down the aisle to Canon in D or whatever it was, and she goes down there and stands at the end. And like, Canon and D is a, a really long song. Like, really long. She's up there standing by herself for like five or six minutes straight. People thought it was trying to spotlight her. No, it wasn't. It was a mistake. And uh, But everything else in the wedding went without a hiccup. 
And I can still remember that moment when the pastor read the vows that we repeated to each other. Do you, Joshua, take to be your wedded wife, uh, Tabitha, you know, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do you part? And with a smile, I said, I do. We kissed, we had a, a wonderful reception, we spent our first night as a married couple in a hotel that overlooked the water of Port Charlotte. Now, we chose a, a Friday evening to get married, and I know that's a little unusual, but we, we did because we didn't want to have to worry about waking up early the next morning and getting ready for church. You know, a lot of people get married on a Saturday, and we just thought, you know, we don't want to have to worry about the very next morning having to get up and get dressed and go to Sunday school, because y'all, I'm not skipping Sunday school. That's not how I'm going to start my marriage. Let me tell you this. If you're planning on getting married, don't start your marriage by skipping church the next day. Do I need to repeat that? I do not understand and I do not comprehend the people who skip church for vacation, the people who skip church because fam, well, I had some family members come in town. I don't understand the people who skip church for anything, really. I just don't. And I don't understand the people who, oh, they're, they're, but we just got married. All the more reason to be in church. Why not start off right in your marriage? We covered more of that subject. Go back and listen to episode number 26, The Faithful Failure. Too many Christians make episode number 26. But we got married on Friday evening, and then at uh, Saturday morning, we went and drove from Port Charlotte, her hometown. We drove to our honeymoon location, and people have asked me before, where was your honeymoon at? And with a smirk and a, a sheepish grin and embarrassment in my eyes, I say, Valdosta. And you say, Valdosta? And I say, yes, Valdosta, Valdosta, Georgie. Now, some of you listening in different parts of the world, some of you listening in different parts of the states, you have no clue what Valdosta, Georgia is. It's a little rinky-dink town in southern Georgia. Rinky-dink. I don't even know what rinky-dink means. It just kind of fits. Rinky-dink. I, as a broke man, undeserving of a wife, took what little funds that I had saved up and tried to find something for our honeymoon that my wife would like, my new wife. And so I knew that she liked a few things. I knew she liked Victorian-style homes. I knew she liked historical landmarks. And I knew she liked thrift stores, which always works for a broke man. So we wanted to stay somewhere not too far from our home because we would stay a a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then on Thursday of that next week, we were going to drive back home and set up our new home, which was a 28-foot camper. And we'll get into that a different time. And so I looked around, and I found in Valdosta, Georgia, I found a Verbo, I guess is what they're now calling it, before it was called a VRBO, a vacation rental by owner. I found a three-story Victorian-style home for only $75 a night. Bingo. There we go. And so we drove up the next day. I found some thrift stores we could go to. I found some historical landmarks we could visit, all things that I knew my wife would enjoy. I found a good Baptist church that we could attend that first Sunday we were together. And and so we drove up on Saturday morning up to Valdosta, Georgia. We arrived. My South Florida born and raised wife, she's a Florida cracker born and raised in South Florida, Bringing her along, we arrived up into Valdosta to 25-degree weather. Now, if you're from South Florida, you know that's freezing. That's like deathly cold if you're from South Florida. The highs during the days we were there were in the 30s. We hadn't packed any coats. We hadn't packed any sweaters. We hadn't packed anything like that. And we were freezing. We arrived to our VRBO to find that no one had turned the heat on. And it was just below 50 degrees in this house. The old furnace, the radiators, they would take hours to heat up that huge home. So right after getting there, we unloaded our bags. We went to Walmart for coats and extra blankets and a space heater to put in the bedroom. And that's how we spent the second night of our marriage. At midnight, we were in Walmart. Late that night, tired from the day and everything, we lay in bed that night only to realize that the whole three-story Victorian-style house, the reason it was only $75 a night was because there was an active train station only two blocks away. And when I say active, I mean active. 
every couple hours train. I don't even know the sound effects. But anyway, <laughs> but the train coming by shakes the house every couple hours. One block from us in the other direction was the fire station. And right next to the fire department, the fire station, was the police station. Just a couple blocks further than that sat the hospital with all of their ambulances. And all through the night, we spent staring into a dark ceiling with sounds of of police sirens and fire sirens and ambulance sirens and trains that would shake the house. Beyond that, we were in an old Victorian-style house. Beautiful construction. Built literally decades and decades, if not centuries ago. Beautiful wood floors. I mean, this massive wooden staircase sat at the entrance, and when you walked up the two flights of stairs, the, the, entr- the, the end of the staircase went directly into the, the master bedroom just on the other side of the hall. I mean, just as soon as you stepped off the steps, took two steps forward, you were in the master bedroom. I mean, beautiful staircase. But if you know anything about old wooden houses in the cold, the wood floors in the cold, they creak and they crack all through the night. I've never been in a haunted house until that night. But all throughout the night, it sounded like someone was walking up and down those two sets of staircases. I'm telling you, it was footsteps. It was the creepiest thing. I think I don't know if I've ever been creeped out more in my life than I was in that house. I mean, countless times, my brand new bride would ask me, I mean, f- just completely frightened. She would say, I, th- I think there's someone coming up the stairs. And then adamantly, I mean, she would so adamantly, someone is coming up the stairs. Here I am, a 20-year-old guy, 20 years old, married, never responsible for protecting or caring for anyone in my life. A guy who, I'll be honest, to my embarrassment, to my chagrin, only seven to eight years before was deathly afraid of the dark, right? It's so like little nightlights, age 13, and... um here I am, I now have to care for, I now have to protect my new bride, and I'm sleeping in a haunted house with police sirens. Surely there's escaped convicts running around. But why did I have to protect her? Why did I have to care for her? Because I had just promised 24 hours before that I would do so when I gave our vows. You see, I determined on that day to choose to love my wife, to provide for her, to protect her, to always be there for her. And this relationship of marriage has been truly the most amazing, the most incredible thing. I love being married to my wife, the most beautiful lady in the world, Tabitha Ann Jimenez. When someone enters a relationship that's as strong as marriage, they do so with the intent to never break that relationship. They want to keep it together. They realize that, yes, there are others who have broken their marital vows, and yes, there are others who have ended in divorce, and yes, there are those who have ended the relationship, but there's never a person who goes into marriage thinking, you know, so what's your plans for marriage? Well, you know, two or three years from now, we plan on getting a divorce. No, no one does that. But the divorce rates show us how many people realize this. Divorce is an all-too-true and sad reality for their new relationship. Now, coming back to Esther chapter 1, where we just read at the beginning of this podcast episode, we have a king. I can only imagine the story isn't necessarily given, so I insert some imagination upon it. I imagine him as maybe a young king riding in his carriage in the road one day, and all of a sudden he tells the carriage driver, Stop, 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 stop! There the carriage comes to a stop, and he looks out into the market, and there is the most beautiful lady he has ever seen. I mean, his heart falls into his stomach. It it splashes puppy love into his inner soul. I mean, his heart starts pounding as he begins to introduce himself to her. I mean, stumbling over his words. She's enamored with this handsome man who is now talking to her. And a few months later, there they are at the marriage altar saying their vows to one another as as a custom would have it. Another beautiful marriage, another happy relationship in the kingdom. But all does not end well. Many of you know you've read the book of Esther. You're familiar with the story. You know what happens in the relationship. It ends. And while it did end and while it did stop, 
I don't believe that it had to. There were things that were done and things that I believe could have changed that could have saved their marriage. And the same is true of all marriages that end the divorce. I want to note a few problems real quick in their relationship. In an episode, a message actually that I preached not too long ago at my home church, but an episode that I'm going to entitle, How to Lose Your Queen. How to Lose Your Queen. Now, we will be applying this directly to the marriage relationship from the viewpoint of the husband. Because I believe that to be the most proper interpretation, the most proper proper application of what we're going to talk about today. But if you're listening and you're not you're not a husband, don't feel left out. Because I, I believe so many of these principles can be wisely applied to the relationship of a of a wife to her husband. Many of these principles could be applied to relationships of friendship. Many of these principles could be applied to that parent-child relationship. Many of these principles could be applied to your, your relationship with Christ. And while all of them will apply to the relationship of a husband to his wife, many of them could be applied to other relationships. And I, I believe that if you're listening with that intent today, whether you're a husband or not, you'll be able to get something out of this episode that will help you. So, how do you lose your queen? How to lose your king, your queen? Number one, become more interested in the kingdom than in the queen. Become more interested in the kingdom than in the queen. Esther chapter 1, verse 1, we already read it, but it said, Now it came to pass in those days of Ahasuerus, then there's a parenthetical statement, a statement that's between parentheses. It's, it's giving a description on who this Ahasuerus is. There had been other Ahasuerus's, and the writer of this passage wants to tell you which Ahasuerus this is. And it says in that parenthetical statement, This is Ahasuerus, which reigned from India even unto Ethiopia over 107 and 20 provinces. Isn't it interesting? when describing who Ahasuerus was. That the writer mentions lands and provinces and countries and kingdoms, but he never mentions the wife of Ahasuerus. This is Ahasuerus, which reigned from India and even into Ethiopia, over 120 provinces, who was married to Queen Vashti. No, it doesn't say that. Could it be? Could it be? Ahasuerus wasn't known for his wife. He was just known for his personal kingdom. You say, what do you mean? Well, I have a three-minute rule. Three to five-minute rule. My, my three-minute rule is that if I speak with someone for more than three minutes, I want to introduce them to two people. I want to introduce them to my Savior, Jesus Christ, and I want to introduce them to my wife, Tabitha Ann. That is my three-minute rule. When people think of me, here's what I want. Here's what I would hope. I don't want them to immediately say, well, he's the guy who works at that Victory Springs Baptist Church in High Springs, or, or he's that preacher guy, or he's that guy who lives in Fort White, or he's the guy who drives that silver minivan. I, yeah, I don't want to be known for that. No. And, uh, but I want people to think of me as he's the guy who is married to Tabitha, because what, that's one of the biggest compliments you could ever pay me. But sadly, you've seen them. You've seen, because we live in a society where husbands, they like to make much of their cars, and they like to make much of their house, and much of their career, and much of their sports team, and much of their hobbies, but they never seem to make much of their wife. She just kind of sits on the back burner of life. She's just another item that they've added to the pile of stuff that they call life. She's just another item on the shelf of collections. She's just my wife. They never talk about her in day-to-day conversation, and, and if they do, it's only to complain. It's never to brag about how incredible she is. They never make much to do about her. They talk more about everything else, and they've become a man who is more interested in the kingdom than in the queen. Isn't it amazing how—and I'm not going to do this for every point, but I will draw this conclusion in this one. Isn't it amazing how we do the same with Christ? Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. 
The, the verse before that says, if ye then be risen with, with Christ, seek those things which are above. But the problem is so many people here on this earth are chasing this little kingdom that's all going to burn up one day instead of ch- chasing the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that relationship that will make the difference. And you know what will make the difference between you lasting for Christ is not the things of your life, but the people that are in it. Men, if you would like to lose your queen, which you shouldn't, but if you would like to lose your queen, just push her to the back burner. Never speak good about her. Be more interested in, in your careers and your hobbies, and you will lose your queen. Number two, if you want to lose your queen, become prideful and arrogant. Now, this first chapter of Esther, it talks about, you can go read it all in your spare time, but verses 2 through 4 talk about what's going on at this point in time. He's holding a feast. He's showing them a lot of things, these princes that have gathered around. Verse 4 says, When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, well, how long did he show them this glorious kingdom and his excellent majesty? How long did he show it for? It says many days, and then it tells you how many days. Even in hundred and four score days. A score is 20. If you have four score, that's 80. Four 20s, 80. Even in 100, so that's 100, and four score, which is 80, 180 days. That is almost six months. For six months, this man who had... His interest in his dedication to a job well done had turned to pride because all he does for six months is brag about himself, his glorious kingdom, and his excellent majesty. Truth be told, going back to, kind of goes hand in hand with the subject we were just on just one point before. That's a lot of men. They'll talk about everything else, and they'll mention their wife in a good way, in conversation every six months, maybe. Pride is something that eats at every man, myself included. Especially young men. You say, I don't struggle with pride. Then let me make it real simple. I'll apply it to re- everyday life. Ready? Then why don't you ever let her win an argument? You say, it's not, we don't argue, we debate. Okay, why don't you let, ever let her win a debate? A serious conversation, a discussion. You just have to be, and I know I'm pointing the finger at myself, we just have to be the one who proves that we are right. Why is that? It's called pride. We don't want to lose. We never give it up. We never set it down. We're sh- we are so sure that we have our facts straight. We're so sure that we know our stuff. We're so sure, and we want her to see that we're right, and we want, we want her to see how dominant and how smart we are, that we won't ever just let her win. And I mean, we go to the grocery store. I'm telling you, Olga, that, that can of beans was $4.99. No, it wasn't. It was $3.99. No, do you need glasses? It was $4.99. I'm pretty sure it was $3.99. You want me to turn this car around and prove it to you, Olga? I mean, who cares? What's the big deal? Now, trust me, I know there are some things that are worth nailing down in conversation. Like, you got a dinner invitation. Was it 6.30 or 6.45? Okay, yeah, you need, to, you need to nail that down. But everyone knows, you've been married long enough, 75% of the arguments we have as married couples are about the stupidest little things that if one side would just drop it and say, okay, you're right. It would be over, and we could continue on with our happy little life. I asked my wife, I, in preparation, for, I was working on this message, and I was going to preach it, and then I was talking to her about some different things. I said, let me ask you, I said, what's the first argument we ever had as a married couple? And she spit it out, and I'd already written it down that this was our first argument. Do you want to hear how stupid some people's arguments are? Let me give you one, and you're going to be like, that is the dumbest thing. Are you ready? We were moving into a camper. Our first argument my wife and I ever got into was whether or not our vacuum cleaner was too big or not. I thought it was too big. She said, nope, it's perfect. That's the first argument we got into. You say that is stupid. Absolutely right. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. 
Oh man, why did I just tell you that? And um, but what about you? You could probably share with me. In fact, email me, Joshua at SandyCreekStearns.com. I'd love to have a list of dumb arguments that you've had in your life. And um, we get into dumb stuff. Now, on the flip side, you have guys who are like, well, I'm not much of a communicator. Yep, I typically just let my wife win so we can be done talking. So this really isn't for me. There are men like that, right? They're like, well, I'm not much of a communicator, so I just let her win all the time. I never really argue with her. And I've found those same men to be the ones who are grumps, who are complaining men, who they may not tell her she's wrong to her face, but when they go out to breakfast the next morning with the guys, they tell the guys about it, and they tell the guys why she was wrong. You know why they do that? It's something called pride. Pride. The me-first attitude. It will destroy a marriage. By the way, from both a husband's side and a wife's side. Gentlemen, it is time to dump the pride unless you want to lose your queen. Number three, if you want to lose your queen, spend more time with the guys than with the wife. Spend more time with the guys than when the wife. Esther chapter 1 verse 4, it says, When he showed them all his, we just read this verse, you know, the glorious kingdom, the excellent majesty, even many days and hundred and four score days. I want to pull something else out of that verse. You'll notice he spent six months with these princes. He spent six months with these guys. And verse 11 would show us by context from what I'm seeing. You go back and tell me if you're seeing something different. But by context, I'm saying he hasn't been with his wife for these six months. Ahasuerus, what what has he been doing? He's been spending more time with the guys than with the wife. Can I just talk to the young ladies who are looking to get married one day? Can I just talk about this for just a second? Are you ready? Young ladies, be careful if the guy you are interested in, who thinks he's interested in you, be careful. He's thinking about marrying you and blah, blah, blah. But he spends more evenings out playing basketball, going to eat, playing video games, doing all this stuff with the guys than spending time with you. And if a guy can't break with his buddies to start spending quality time together with his wife, then he shouldn't have married her to begin with. Now let me bring this right down. We're going to make it pointed. Ready? When is the last time, husbands, that you spent quality time with your wife? Not out to eat with another couple, not watching a movie, not on your phone. I mean, can I just give you gentlemen a hint? You ready? Here we go. Are are you ready for this? This is going to, I know this is going to sound radical. Some of you are going to disagree. I do not care. I'm not trying to be mean. I don't care. I think it's ridiculous. Gentlemen, let me give you a new tip. When you go into a date with your wife, when you go in to spend some time with your wife, You're driving along, you're taking your wife out for a date, you're spending some time together. Are you ready? Here's what you should do. Take the phone and leave it in the car. (gasps) Did you say leave my phone in the car? Oh no! What am I going to do? I mean, the kids are at home. They're with the sitter. What if there's a problem? Hello? That's what you got a sitter for. You see, you leave your kids with somebody who is able to handle the problems when they come up. I mean, you're going to be in the restaurant for what? 30 minutes? An hour? An hour and a half. You're saying that the world cannot keep going around if somebody can't get a hold of you for an hour and a half. But no, instead we like to take our phones in and all of a sudden the phone dings and, oh, you know, I better look at that real quick. It might be work or it might be this or it might be that. I've seen too many marriages where a husband and wife loses the closeness because of a stupid phone. Because it's always there. It's always in the pocket. It's always on. Husbands, the best thing you can do for your family, the best thing you can do for your wife, the best thing you can do for your ministry is have certain times in your life where the phone gets shut off and it doesn't matter. You're spending time with your kids, shut the phone off. You're spending time with your wife, turn the phone off. You are spending time studying the Word of God and preparing for a message. It's okay for an hour. Now, yes, your ministry is people. People need to be able to get in touch with you. I understand all those things. Look, I, I, I work ministry myself. I get it. You have to have your phone on. Your people need to get a hold of you. But it's okay 
to let people know, you know, if you really need to get a hold of me, try calling my wife, and she can let me know if it's an emergency, or you can try calling the church phone, and if it's a church phone, if it's an emergency. But I'll, I'll tell you this, on 9 to 10 a.m. on Tuesday mornings is um, where it's some very important study time for me, and I just have my phone off during that time. It will be okay. People will find, if it is a true emergency, can I tell you this, people will find a way to get a hold of you. Turn the phone off. Turn the phone off. Can I just say, it might be a good idea to do this when coming into church, y'all. You say, well, what if someone tries to get a hold of me? They can't wait till after church? Well, what if it's an emergency? Emergencies are so rare. Isn't it amazing how we take the extremely rare times and now it's got to become a habit for us throughout our entire life. Now we have to be glued with this object in our hand or in our pocket just because of the emergency that probably probably will never happen in our lifetime. Now, I get it. I, un- I understand. There has been certain times where I have had my phone in my pocket during the church service. There have been certain times in my life where I've actually stepped out of a church service where I wasn't preaching or something like that, where, where I've, checked, I've stepped out of the service to take a phone call from my wife because she was at home and the kids were running an extreme fever and I might have needed to take them to the hospital. There have been, a, I think, two times like that. Most of the time I carry a briefcase to church. When I get to church, my phone gets turned off and it goes into my briefcase. And I put the briefcase away in a different room. It's okay, y'all. We can do this. So when's the last time you spent quality time with your spouse? Not out to eat with another couple, not watching a movie, not on your phone, not when the kids or grandkids are in the room, not napping on the recliner. When's the last time you sat there just soaking in the time with her? Like when you used to when you were dating. When you were, I didn't date, I was a Christian, I courted. When, when was the last time that you did that, like when you were back in those days? Those days when the whole world could have caught on fire and you wouldn't have cared. You were so focused and so intent on spending time with her. You will lose your queen if you'll start spending more time with everything else, the career, the job, the kingdom, it's not just a matter of focus, but now it's time. You're giving all your time to these other things and not giving enough time to your queen. You'll lose your queen. Number four, if you want to lose your queen, allow addictions to overtake you. Allow addictions to overtake you. Verse number 10 of Esther King Ahasuerus is going to make his request of Queen Vashti, which I believe to be a foolish request. I believe from the the context, we could talk about this more in a different episode, but the context of the passage, I don't think it was a very good request what he was asking her to do. But when he makes this request, God makes a very interesting statement when inspiring this passage. He says in verse 10, On the seventh day when the heart of the king was merry with wine, the king was drunk. The king had become so wrapped up in his addiction to liquor that he made it a law. Look at verse number 8. He made it a law that these men during the feast could drink as much as they wanted to. And it was in the middle of this addiction that he made the request that we'll, that we'll talk about a little bit later. We'll talk a little bit more about that request. But if we aren't careful... We can allow addictions. By the way, addictions can be good things and they can be bad things, right? An addiction, you don't have to be addicted to something bad. Paul talks about the house of Stephanaeus and Fortunaeus and, um, and Achaia. The Bible talks about that. I think it's 1 Corinthians or something like that, where they addicted themselves to the ministry. The ministry is a good thing. But sometimes we can allow addictions to overtake our lives. Things like TV. TV in and of itself, if you're watching things that are right, watching things, you know, without cussing, without bad scenes, without over-violent, you know, we've had several episodes, by the way, on, on TV filters and cuss boxes. We have an episode on how to transform your TV. Go to sandycreekstrings.com, click the episodes button, you'll find a search box there, type in TV, um, and you can find those episodes. We've done two of them so far on that subject. But if you're watching something that's fine for you to watch, it can still become an addiction and begin to take up too much of your time. Social media, online purchases, hobbies like hunting, fishing, sports, vehicles, uh, food. And when we begin to take too much of these particular things, that they're not bad in and of themselves, but they can begin to affect our marriage. They can begin to affect the relationship of our spouse, our children, our friends, and our, and our God. And then, of course, there's the 
bad addictions. Smoking, drinking, drugs, pornography. Just real quick. Hey, men, don't think that hiding it and no one knowing about it won't affect your marriage. Because it will. So here's what I can do as a husband. I can choose to drop the addiction and spend that time, that energy, that resource on my wife. Or I can choose to keep feeding my addiction and it will eventually destroy my marriage. What addiction do you have? What are you doing to conquer it? Next, if you want to lose your queen, number five, lose the personal closeness of the relationship. Lose the personal closeness of the relationship. So he sends these men to go ask his wife. It says in verse number 11, to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look on. The Bible talks about in another passage um, about someone who was looking at a lady because she was fair to look on. It was King David when he was looking on Bathsheba. She was she was bathing herself not trying to be inappropriate, but it's obvious she was naked, and David was looking at her. She was fair to look on, is what the Bible said about David and his attitude at that point in time. I believe, and we could have a debate about this, but I believe that King Ahasuerus was asking his wife to come and do something to dance provocatively, maybe, and she said no. In his drunken state, this is what he asked her to do, and and she said no. But something very interesting, verse 10, is that when he sent this request, he didn't get up out of the throne and go ask her. He commanded these seven chamberlains, and he said, no, 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 y'all go ask her. Here's a guy who used to be so in love with his wife, who used to love spending time with her, who now spends so much time with the guys that he sends other men to go get her. Instead of getting off his lazy rear and going to get her himself, he sends a couple other men. What has he done? He has lost the personal closeness. He has lost the personal touch in their relationship. Hmm. Talking about your relationship with your Savior for just a second, have you lost your personal closeness with him? The precious moments spent in communication with him? Going back to the topic, have you lost your personal closeness with your wife? When's the last time you penned her a note? From an I love you on a sticky note to a a long letter. When's the last time you planned a special date for just you and her? Yeah, you planned it. When's the last time you brought up a memory of old and just talked with her about the good old days? When's the last time you reached across and just held her hand or whispered a sweet nothing into her ear? When's the last time you took a bar of soap and wrote I love you on the bathroom mirror before going to work and leaving it for her to clean up? when's the last time you packed a picnic lunch for her? When's the last time you wrote her a poem? You say, well, I haven't done that since before we got married. Why'd you stop? You did it back then to prove your love to her. You say, well, I think it might be a little goofy now. I might have a hard time writing a poem. I challenge you. Write a poem to your wife. If you used to, you say before you're recording, I never really wrote poems to my wife. That's just something I, I never really did. Um, But if you used to write poems to your wife before you were married, and you haven't done it in years, I'm going to challenge you men. Take my challenge, and then send me an email if you do it, joshua at sandycreekstrings.com. Here's the challenge. Write a poem to your wife. Leave it for her before you go off to work. Leave it for her to find it. And watch what it does. Watch what it does. You say, what will it do? You'll find out. You'll find out. She'll punch you in the throat. No, and no, I'm just kidding. She'll be like, how, how, why has it been so many years since you've written me about? No, it, it'll be wonderful. You'll see. When's the last time you expressed your love to her in ways deeper than I love you or deeper than you're pretty? Guys, I found a, a from the thesaurus, all right? Beautiful, beautiful. I found some words that mean beautiful. They're, they're relatively the same thing as beautiful, but we don't use them as much. You could tell your wife this, bring a little bit of that personal touch into that marriage. Ready? Instead of saying you're beautiful, instead of saying you're pretty, you could say you're exquisite, you're gorgeous, stunning, lovely, magnificent. Try going to your wife today when she gets ready for church the next time and say, you look magnificent. She'll be like, oh, thank you. At least I hope that's what she says. She'll be like, what's wrong with you? Are you drunk? And, and uh, you better not be drunk because you better be known as a guy. If you listen to Sandy Creek Stearns, you better not be drinking. We've talked about that before. You can go look it up. Um, ravishing. 
angelic, dazzling, glorious, sublime, breathtaking, foxy. All right, you, you could try some of these terms. I challenge you, man, think of something right now, write it down, plant it in your mind that you can do tomorrow, that you can do this week to add a personal touch to your marriage. A personal touch to your marriage. By the way, you can add a personal touch to any relationship. You have a friendship, buy them their favorite candy bar, write them a small note of encouragement and leave it for them somewhere. You can add a personal touch to the relationship with your kids. Get a box of their favorite ice cream and, and let them pick out. Not your favorite movie, but let them pick out their favorite movie and you sit down with a box of ice cream. Just take a big old knife, cut that box of ice cream right in half if you got one kid. You know, cut it different ways if you got two or three kids. It just personal touch. Relationships thrive and they grow on personal touch. Number six, if you want to lose your queen... Become more interested in outward beauty than inner beauty. Esther 1, chapter 11, you know, the king calls for her wife, for she was fair to look on. Nowhere do you find that Ahasuerus wanted her to come to him because he wanted to show these princes how kind she was, how well-mannered she was, how graceful she was, how loving she was, how sweet she was. Nope, I don't see that anywhere. It appears to me that he only cared about her outward appearance and nothing more. Now, <laughs> here we go. Let me explain this very, very carefully for a minute, because I know I'm going to be treading on hot coals. Guys, I would advise you, I don't think you should marry a girl that you find unattractive. I say, hey, what do you think of so-and-so? I think she's ugly, but I'm going to marry her. I don't think that would be a good I don't think that would be a good idea. I'm not saying that looks don't matter. When I talk about this, I'm not saying that looks don't matter. I think they do. I, I'm so thankful. I am married. You guys can say whatever you want. I don't care. You're all wrong. I am married to the most beautiful lady in the world. And it's amazing. She gets more and more beautiful with every day. I am in love with the way my wife looks in outward beauty. And by the way, men, you need to compliment your wife and tell her she is jaw-dropping and she's stunning and she's attractive and you can never tell her too much about how beautiful she is. You be her mirror. Every time she stands in the front of the mirror in the bathroom and says, well, I wonder, am I too fat? Am I not attractive anymore? I'm getting old, the gray hair. You look at your wife and say, no, no, no. I will be your mirror. My eyes will be your mirror. And come to me. If you're ever worried about beauty, you come and stand before my eyes and I will be your mirror and I will tell you how beautiful you are. But, let's be honest, looks change as the years go by. If the only thing, let's just pretend for a second, the only thing, the only thing I ever liked about my wife, the only thing, was I thought, man, she has the most beautiful brunette hair. Give her 60 years, and it won't be brunette anymore. It will be gray, it will be white, it will have changed. And if that's the only thing I ever liked about my wife, well, then in 60 years, I will not like her anymore. If all, of, if all I ever liked about my wife, the only thing, let's just pretend the only thing I liked about my wife, Josh, what's the only thing, what's the thing, what, what's the things you like about my wife? Well, there's only one thing I like about her. She has really nice facial skin. No wrinkles, no bags under her eyes, no crow's feet, no, no laugh lines. She doesn't have any wrinkles. I mean, it's just this nice, tight skin on her face. Give her 30 or 40 years, and she's going to have some wrinkles. She's going to have some laugh lines. And if that's the only thing I ever liked about her, then I wouldn't like her anymore in 30 to 40 years. Looks change, by the way, for both parties. Some of you men, you have less hair. I mean, my wife, when, when she married me, I had a full head of hair. She was hoping for like 60 years before I would be, go bald, and uh, it only took about six, and I'm already beginning to go bald. Now, looks change. Some of you, yeah, we won't go there. Anyway, looks change. Looks change. Some of you were a different suit size when you got married. But do you know what will make you, as a husband, fall head over heels for your wife's looks? No matter how they change, no matter how they age, no matter if catastrophe happens. Here's what will make you fall more in love with your wife every single day. Ready? Fall in love with the woman she is on the inside. 
Proverbs 31 verse 30 says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. Beauty is empty. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. You say, how is this true? How, how is that possible? I don't understand how beauty can be empty. I think beauty is kind of important. Every teenage guy, what's the most important thing? She's got to be pretty, right? That's, but how can it be true? How can the Bible say that beauty is vain? Because a guy can get what he thinks is a show-stopping, jaw-dropping trophy wife. And he marries her, man. He is, she is the most beautiful thing since sliced bread. But after a year, he gets to know the lady on the inside. And inside, she is mean and crass and rude and foul language filled and bad attitude plagued and spoiled and rotten. And she's self-righteous. She's a brat. And suddenly, in his eyes, she becomes very, very ugly. She becomes very, very unattractive. But teenage guys listening to me today, you get a lady who is filled with the love of God. She has grace and mercy and truth and kindness, a wonderful attitude. She's full of love and respect for you. And it, it won't matter how old she gets, what changes her body goes through, or what catastrophe may come. Every day you wake up, if you're married to that kind of lady, every day you wake up, She's just so much more beautiful than the day before. It's like, man, we went to bed eight hours ago. We fell asleep. I gave you a kiss. I said goodnight. We fell asleep, and I woke up, and you're more beautiful than you were eight hours ago. How's that possible? Start getting to know the lady on the inside. Ask her questions. Know her favorites. Record her answers. Study her. Study her. I have a list of questions here on my phone. I keep a, a note-taking note app on my phone. And one of the things I have here on my list, I'm trying to find it real quick so I can give you an idea of some of the things that I have. But I have a list of Tabitha's favorites. Tabitha's favorites. I have on here where I've asked her several different, many different questions about some of her favorite things. I've asked her favorite restaurant, her favorite candy bar, her favorite dessert, her favorite uh, just candy, not a, like a chocolate bar, but a candy, her favorite color, her favorite meat, her favorite food to eat, her favorite sit-down chain restaurant, her favorite movie, her favorite um, animal, her favorite board game, card game, her favorite outfit that I wear. Her favorite season, her favorite holiday, her favorite smell, her favorite dum-dum flavor. We pass out a lot of dum-dums in junior church, y'all. Her favorite place to, to shop, her favorite song, her favorite hymn, her favorite sport to play. I mean, I've recorded down so many of her favorites. Why? I want to know the lady on the inside. Learn the way she responds. Learn her love language. Learn how to make her smile and laugh. Learn her struggles. Learn her hopes and her dreams. Spend time talking with her. Spend time listening to her. Spend time cherishing her. I heard the story of a plastic surgeon who handled cases of severe catastrophic situations. And into his office came a lady one day who was in a terrible car accident. The car caught on fire and, and literally melted her face. And he went into surgery and he did the absolute best he could to repair the damage but the finished product was a lady whose, whose face was twisted and it was marred from that terrible accident she had been in. She woke up from the surgery in the hospital room there and she asked for a mirror. First thing, she asked for a mirror. And when she saw herself in the mirror, she burst into tears and said, How could my husband ever love me now? He won't ever want to look at me again. He won't ever want to kiss me again. How could my husband ever love me now? Sitting over in the corner of the room, she didn't realize it was her husband. He was sitting by the recovery bed, and he stood up. He put his arms around his wife, pulled her chin up to look at his eyes. and The surgeon watched his that husband smiled, looked at her face, and said, You know what? I think it's cute. And with that statement, he, he twisted his own lips to match the new shape of hers and, and pressed a kiss to her lips. You know that what, what that was? That was a man who had fallen in love with the lady inside 
And it didn't matter what happened. Every day she was more beautiful than the day before. If you want to lose your queen, never get to know her and just be interested in the outward beauty, then one day you will lose your queen. Number seven, if you want to lose your queen, care more about yourself and your preferences than the queen's preferences. Esther chapter 1 verse 12, but the queen Vashti refused to come and at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore, the king was very wroth and his anger burned in him. He didn't care about what she wanted. He didn't care about her feelings. He didn't care about her desire, her preferences. All he cared about was himself in a relationship. This is going to be a short thing, ready? But a relationship can never survive whether it's a friendship, parent-child relationship, man-to-God relationship, a marriage, they can never decide, never survive when one party decides that they care more about themselves and their cares and their preferences than the others. When's the last time you asked your wife what movie she would prefer to watch? Which restaurant she would prefer to go to? It'll take you an hour to figure out which place to go to. Yes, but when's the last time? Oh, man, I just stuck my foot in my mouth. When's the last time you asked your wife, where do you want to go? Which place would you like to go on vacation this year? Which activity would you prefer to do? When's the last time? You'll lose your queen if you kick, if you quit caring about her preference. Number eight, if you want to lose your queen, have a temper problem. Have a temper problem. The Bible says the king was very wroth and his anger burned in him. This question, I think, is a real one. Is there anything, is there anything that destroys relationships and marriages more than a bad temper? A man who loses his temper at the drop of a hat. A man who gets frustrated so easily. A man who is so quick to raise his voice. Think about it. Anger, a temper, it burns, right? I mean, the the Bible said that his anger burned in him. It's like a fire. And every time you get upset, you throw up your hands or you raise your voice or you vocally slap your wife with sarcasm or you shake your head in disgust or you breathe out sharply to express disdain or you speak harshly or you slam a door or you punch a gas pedal or slam a brake. All you're doing is you're burning the bridge of your relationship. And every time you just light another match and you burn another little piece, and eventually there will be no more bridge to burn, and it will be too late. So why not resolve to fix it now? God can help you. Ask God. Be willing to be honest about your temper. Ask your wife. Say, hey, I promise. I promise. I won't get upset with you if you tell me the truth. But just tell me the truth. Do I have a temper problem? See what she has to say. Then start working on it little by little. Are you going to get over it in one day? Probably not. But you can be better today than you were yesterday. You can be better tomorrow than you were today. And it can be conquered. Number nine, if you want to lose your queen, then lack forgiveness. If you want to lose your queen... Lack forgiveness. Esther chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Then the king said to the wise men, which knew the times, for so was the king's manner toward all that knew law and judgment. And the next unto him was Karshina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Maris, Mersina, Mamukin. Interesting names. The seven princes of Persia and Media, which saw the king's face and which sat the first in the kingdom. What shall we do unto the queen Vashti according to the law? Because she hath not performed the commandment of King Ahasuerus by the chamberlains. Ready? You know what these men answered. You know, they said, well, get rid of her, replace her. That's what they told him to do. Get rid of her. But can you imagine if the princes all said, you know what we think you should do, king? We think you should forgive her. The whole story would have changed. But no, 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 no. There was an unforgiving king on the throne. How many times do we... Hold on to things that we should have stopped bringing up years ago. Why are we so quick to not forgive? Why do we hold it over their heads and make them beg before we forgive them? You'll never have a good relationship of any sort if you don't learn the art of true forgiveness. Number 10, become the boss instead of the leader. If you want to lose your queen, become the boss instead of the leader. 
Notice what they said in verse 15, because she hath not performed the commandment of the king. Commandment? Commandment? We so often as husbands, we like preaching about that verse, the wives submit unto your husbands. But we don't ever seem to like the preaching where it says that we should love our wives as Christ so loved the church and gave himself for it. We don't really like preaching on serving them like Christ served the church, putting them first. I can tell you this, leaders lead by example. And bosses command people around. If you want her to serve you and help you and bless you, then you're going to have to be a leader, and leaders lead by example. So why don't you start by going first? Why don't you wash the dishes tomorrow? Oh, no. Did you say wash the dishes? Yeah. Well, I just put in a long day of work. I mean, this is her job. I mean, I mean, I just I just had eight, ten hour day at, at work. I mean, I worked hard. I mean, I got home, I was tired. And you want me to go wash the dishes? That's her job. She's a housewife. That's her job. Oh, so she has to work the eight to ten hour days and she doesn't get to take off the rest of the time like you do. You say, Well, I work harder than my wife. You need to be slapped. Because obviously you've never stayed home with your kids and had to stay with them for 8 to 10 hours a day while doing your dirty laundry and and wiping down your floors and washing your dishes. Oh, so she has to work 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day, but she can't take any time off because you're snoozing at midnight. And when the kids wake up because they went to the bathroom in their bed, she's the one who has to clean it up. So she never gets a time to rest. Oh, it's no, 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 no. You don't have to apologize. I, I see what you're saying. It's okay. But that's the reality. The husbands who have this type of attitude, that's the reality. Where Christ was washing the feet of the disciples, they were the disciple who would say, no, 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 you can't wash my feet, Lord. Well, wait a second. Christ was a servant, and he led by example. So why don't you wash the dishes tomorrow? Why don't you, when you get home tonight, let her sit down and watch TV while you clean up dinner? Why don't you mop the floors and let her sit down and read a book? Why don't you watch the kids while she goes out with a friend? Why don't you play with the kids while she gets some alone time? If you, men, it's time to become leaders in our home, not bosses. But we just want, we just want to be able to go home and sit on the throne because while well, I put in my hours, and the truth be told, we are not loving and serving, and I will raise my hand first, I am... I'm, I am in this boat. We do not do a good enough job of serving our serving serv, serving our wives like Christ served us. Of giving ourselves like Christ gave for us. And you may have a problem with something I just said or something in the list. Let me ask you this. If it were Christ standing there, do you think Christ would have taken time to do some of those things sometimes? Absolutely. Cuz he was a servant first of all. lead by example. You want your wife to do those things for you. Why don't you take, I'm not saying do them every night, y'all. I'm saying, why don't you take some times and do it for your wife and lead by example. You want her to serve you. Why don't you serve her sometimes? We find at the end of it all that these 10 things that I gave you today added up and Ahasuerus became the man who reflected this phrase, act first, think later. Act first, think later. He follows through on the advice. He gets rid of Queen Vashti, and it's all over. We finish up chapter 1, and that's where it sits. And chapter 2, verse 1, opens this way. After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done. And what was decreed against her. How many men sit across America today who have destroyed their marriage? Kingdom first attitude, pride, lack of time, addiction that they won't get over, no personal closeness, no personal touch anymore. Lust instead of love, selfishness, a temper, lack of forgiveness, or their self-centeredness. 
and they sit alone, divorced, and they stop and they think back to their wife, and they just wish. They just wish they would have made some changes necessary to save their marriage. They wish they would have done those things. They wish that things were different, but it's too late. It's too late. Do you realize that an estimated 33%—33, that's one out of three, y'all— 33% of Christian marriages end in divorce? That means if 30 couples listen to this episode, 30, that means 10 of them will get a divorce. One out of three. Don't think that you can just sit by with these problems in your marriage and everything will be fine. We'll be okay. Our our marriage will make it. Don't tell yourself you're not going to be one of the 33%. Because if these issues are sitting and they're obvious and they're piling up, you are lying to yourself. Because these things will destroy any relationship, especially a marriage. And these 10 points truly define how to lose your queen. Man, I don't know about you. I don't want to lose my queen. And I don't think you do either. If we're going to keep our queen, we have to conquer these issues. We have to make sure we get things under control. We leave no stone unturned when it comes to problems in the marriage. We want to make sure we are following closely to Christ. So husbands ought to love their wives as Christ so loved the church and gave himself for it. Don't lose your queen. If you have any questions, you can email me, joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com, joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com. Do me a favor, hit that like or that subscribe button wherever you're watching, whether it be on or listening, whether it be on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or a different platform. Let me encourage you to like and subscribe to the channel, and I hope that you'll enjoy the rest of the content we put out here very, very soon. My friend, until next time, Keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ. Thank you.